Hello, and welcome to the On-Premise IT Podcast, the only podcast that dares to be both on topic and on location. My name is Tom Hollingsworth, and I'm a part of Gestalt IT, and each episode we bring you the perspectives and opinions of a group of IT luminaries, experts in their field on a variety of enterprise IT topics. But we don't just pick a topic. We actually have a very specific idea that we want to talk about, a, uh, a premise, if you will, and we're going to try to stay on that premise as much as we can. I'd like to take a moment for every one of our guests to introduce themselves before we jump into the premise for today's episode, starting with Evan. Thanks, Tom. Uh, my name is Evan Mincer. I'm a information security manager for a healthcare services provider located in Pennsylvania. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at Evan Mincer. Hi, my name is John Meyer, chief content creator at Meyer Media, also a podcaster. I can be found on LinkedIn at John Meyer. Hi, I'm Jasper Wongertz from Germany. I'm the head of incident response at GData Advanced Analytics. And I can be found on Twitter at, at PacketJ. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us today. Let's jump into the premise for this episode. As you have no doubt guessed by the fact that we have three very intelligent security professionals on the call, we're going to be talking about enterprise security. And it's a very wide field. There's a lot of things you have to know and a lot of things you have to understand and that Apple cart got very, very upset just a few years ago uh, in the middle of the global COVID-19 pandemic. Um, there were some very heroic efforts by a lot of professionals at the beginning of the pandemic that allowed a lot of workers to work from home in isolation to prevent the spread of the disease. And that has continued for several months, in fact, almost three years now where we are in a hybrid workforce environment. Some people are still working 100% from home. Some people have gone back to the office. Some people are kind of in that in-between. But how does that impact our security? Because we no longer have these bastion hosts that protect our corporate enterprise network. And we no longer uh, just have a few remote users. In fact, in many cases, the balance of our users are now working remotely. Uh, so the premise for this episode is actually that hybrid work has vastly increased the threat surface that we face in the enterprise. So I'd like to jump in and talk to the, the guest initially. You know, are you seeing this shift to hybrid work complicating the security posture that your organization has had to put up? Yeah, I think a lot of companies uh, got taken by surprise because you went from this point of, oh, we have an office we can go to. And, and while remote work was possible, it wasn't the main thing. Well, all of a sudden, I remember on a Friday, everyone went home and now everyone's remote work. So there's probably a lot of companies out there who got who had to deal with remote access. And that became a security nightmare of, while we had remote access before, now everyone's on remote access. Can our VPNs keep up? Uh, what you know, what cloud services are we using? And, and, and that became a little bit of a nightmare. And I think it's an important point to bring up there that, you know, prior to, you know, February or March of 2020, remote work was the exception. Most people who did it were either, you know, long-term folks who may were maybe working from home on a disability or some kind of a leave situation, or it was an executive who needed to be able to uh, update SharePoint and check their email when they were out on the road. And then all of a sudden we had to turn that shift and shift it on its head because now everybody needed to get in. And I think that there was a lot of scrambling at first to get things functional before they got them secured. And so I know that there were a lot of stories about, um, you know, IT departments that were worried that the home network the user was uh, had built over the years was just barely functional enough to get their kids Xbox online, let alone, you know, protecting the corporate laptop from all kinds of crazy exposure. 
Yeah. And to that point, um, you know, what else is on that home network? You know, when you're at the office, you can control the network. You know what's on it. You you can put tools in to look at it. You can't do that at someone's house. I think, Evan, you touched on that right right where I was going, is that when people were in the office, they felt totally secure because they're in there, they're protected by their network, their security. Now at home, they felt the same security and the same premise on their own home network, but they didn't realize how they set it up, how it was configured. And that's where security and the network folks were really concerned about this hybrid environment. And it also comes down to how, how good the endpoint protection is. I mean, if they move um, devices from the company to the home network and they're having a, a VPN solution that basically isolates their work environment and doesn't let them touch the home environment while they're connected to the company, that's less of a risk than if you have access to both at the same time, because then you're bridging networks, basically. And I think that a lot of the the issues that initially people had with the way that the security functions were determined was it goes back to that idea of a very crunchy edge, a bastion host, where all of our traffic flows through that device in order to be inspected. Um, then, you know, slowly things like SD-WAN and SASE transformed the way that we looked at that through the use of cloud security services like, you know, uh, CASB, Cloud Access Security Broker, and a lot of other things where it was like, okay, some of this traffic I want to send back to the corporate network, yes, but some of it I want to send it out to be inspected before um, it is uh, sent on. And in, in a world where remote work is the exception, not the rule, that was manageable, but now we have a ton of people who need to do that. So do you think the rise of tools like SD-WAN and SASE have allowed us to kind of stay one step ahead of this hybrid workforce model? Uh, I think it depends on the <clears throat> size of the company. Um, I work with a lot of smaller and medium-sized businesses and they don't actually use these kind of technologies because they're not there yet. And for them, um, it's more of a manual approach of setting up everything. Um, if it's a VPN or sometimes even just putting RDP ports out to the internet because they don't realize that that's a bad thing and they haven't heard of Shodan.io and search engines like this. So they are always surprised if they get um, found out and, and compromised really fast. Actually, I want to jump in there and say some of the things that you mentioned about isolating the VPN of, you know, not allowing outside, outside access. You created a lot of friction with this of everybody going to remote where they're used to on their home network of accessing their printers, their internet, their network and storage devices. But now you're having them isolated into just the network and now they need to print something. I need to share something, move something around. And what it's done is created a lot of friction and not only the education of folks of setting these things up, configuring and realizing that they can't do the things that they were once easily able to do when they were on premise. Yeah, that's true. That, and, and, and that was actually one of the biggest problems that they had whenever they were trying to develop a way for these devices to be protected. I mean, I can remember many years ago, the solution was to just install an agent based VPN client on your on your desktop. And then everything is magic because you, you have to fire up the VPN client to go wherever. But we've live in a world now where we want to dump some traffic locally in order to have it go direct internet access and only certain traffic needs to go back to the the network and and the policies that you need to create to make that happen are not always super easy to configure and that's just from one device you know we've we saw instances in the early days of the pandemic where people would just ship an sd-wan endpoint to the customer 
and or not to their customer, but I'm sorry, to their user. And then they would say, oh, just plug this in and everything will work. But then it was like, well, what do I do with my kid's Xbox? Where's that traffic going to go? You're not going to route it through the corporate network so you can play Call of Duty, right? Yeah, I think to, to that to that point, um, you have companies that have on-premises uh, services. So if you have something still on-premises, then they have to use a VPN to get to it. But then what if they're in Office 365? Why are you then hairpinning the traffic through the corporate network back out? That's doubling the uh, the bandwidth with doing that. It's, it's killing your, your VPN connection. Um, so then you do those split tunnels. So that way the, the Office 365 and other services, they go direct to the cloud, but that's still on-premises uh, uh, service is still there. And, and you know, you do a lot of moving to the cloud. Can you move that stuff off to the cloud? Some of it you can. I would say a good good amount, but some of it you can't. And that, that creates a security issue. Oh, and then I, I have something else because I had a lot of customers who <clears throat> didn't have enough equipment for all employees to take home. And um, especially in the hospital environment, um, they don't have that many laptops or that many phones to give to the employees that went home. So they allowed them to use their private computers to connect to the hospital um, environment network. And that gave them a lot of trouble because it's like the most complex environment that you can have, like all kinds of devices and uh, people using like almost like Windows 95 PCs to do things that you shouldn't be doing probably. And I think it's interesting that you bring that up because we had this very long stretch where uh, BYOD, bring your own device, was the the mantra that we wanted to use. Yeah, you don't need to use the, uh, the stodgy old corporate uh, Lenovo ThinkPad. You can use whatever device you want to use. We just need you to, uh, you know, install a couple of pieces of software on it and it'll do a posture assessment to make sure that you're online safely and things like that. But then we ran into that situation, like you said, where there weren't enough devices and maybe there weren't even enough licenses to deploy all of that software, at least not quickly. And all it takes is one device that gets infected in someone's home and has a tunnel back to the corporate internet that why would you monitor the corporate internet tunnels? Because you're on a VPN, it's gotta be secure, right? And then you run into massive problems. Yeah, and even with, I mean, BYOD is is uh, is a nightmare for security because when you talk about a corporate device, that's an image on that corporate device. You have your tools on there. When it goes out to the to the end users, you know what's on there and you can control it. You can't control a BYOD device. You can put controls around it, but you can't say, well, no, you can't have SimCity or something on there because it's it's the user's home device. And and what happens if there's data on that laptop and they leave the, you know leave the organization? You can't send a wipe to a personal device. The other thing to add on to that is that BYOB was nice a couple of years ago, right? Everybody's like, oh, this is a cool thing. I can use my own, my own device that I don't have to worry about that's corporate issued. But now security and privacy around that personal device is they don't want that company's information on their personal device. They don't want to install anything. They don't want it to be monitored. They don't want it to be controlled. And they certainly don't want the ability for the corporate to come in and wipe it. So now you have to you know, enforce even more securities around the device or even a browser base that can enable just that session, but you're still opening up that VPN back to the company. And you know what Tommy said is that, you know who's gonna be monitoring that corporate network because that's legal. You allowed that and you, you're trusting that network traffic. 
And that's a good point, John, uh, because I also had an, another issue with that kind of thinking, um, not wanting their personal devices to be used for corporate uh, um, topics, because uh, securing VPNs um, in times like these, usually we tell people, hey, um, use two-factor authentication, right? Because we have seen so many of our customers go down because they use Microsoft Active Directory usernames and passwords for VPN auth. And somebody stole just one account and got in without problems. So whenever you tell them use two factors, um, they're like, yeah, what are we going to use? Um, yeah, use like the Google Authenticator on your phone. Yeah, but I only have a private phone, not a corporate phone. I don't want to use that on my phone. Like, why not? It's just one app from the App Store. It's yeah, but I don't want anything for the company on my phone. And that really gave us some some trouble with um, workforce not being happy about any kind of additional app on their phones even though it doesn't really mean that the co company is controlling it um, it really made it hard to deploy solutions like this i totally agree with you jasper and that's one of the things that we've seen is this, this dichotomy of what the, the policy is oh if you are on a remote device that is company managed then we have the ability to do all these things you know um, we can see your browsing history and stuff like that and so people have kind of shied away from that but they also expect the same kind of freedom to be able to work from anywhere, to be able to do certain things on their you know, devices and have that access. And like John said, you know, we're, we're rapidly getting to the point where we have these abilities to build these sandboxes to deploy applications on the fly. But even in and of itself, that is creating even more challenges for our devices because in order to make that really work the way that it's supposed to, we had to accelerate our cloud migration in order to be able to deploy those applications in the cloud, in order to be able to turn them up quickly to allow our knowledge workers to get their job done. Uh, but sometimes fast is not exactly secure. Yeah. In, in general, um, I have to add that if I'm looking at the recent cases that we had um, in ransomware attacks, that a quite large number of them actually were possible because the attackers got in through um, yeah, vulnerabilities in remote access um, devices. Um, we had a range of devices, including from the very big players um, that hadn't been patched um, fast enough or that there was no patch when they were attacked already and they didn't check it thoroughly enough afterwards to see that they have already been breached. And the longest period between having been breached and having been encrypted is a whopping two years now. So that's the longest I've seen. Um, and that is like amazing because it tells you um, these ransomware guys have so much to do that they have basically a backlist that is that long. Yes, I, I completely see that. And, and one of the problems is, is that a lot of this ransomware infection um, business, for lack of a better term, has been consolidated. So now you have bigger crews that are doing this on behalf of other people. And they're doing things like, um, I, I'm sure that most people out here probably heard about the Uber hack that happened, uh, I believe, in late September, early October, where they basically badgered one of the employees into giving the, the two-factor code to be able to log into the VPN. And then once they were in, they were able to pretty much, you know, do a uh, recon to figure out what they needed to do to, to gain a foothold. But, you know, that's one of those things where like they're getting very good at what they do and they're able to work on things as opposed to like, you know, um, 
let's just say some script kitty who has to go to school or go to work during the day. So they have to stop what they're doing in order to make a living. These folks have figured out how to make a living out of this and that's their full-time job. So they have the ability to say, oh, we're not going to attack that government uh, building or that hospital or at school this week, but we'll get to it maybe next month. I think the social engineering is key part of it, but also on the company side where everybody went remote, one of the things that they didn't think about or something that they put off was having these remote, these devices handle all these connections. The, the lack of availability for these connections, the lack of patching some of these uh, devices that were out there and also increasing it because now you have, you've essentially more than quadrupled your remote workforce connecting to these devices. And now you can't handle all of it. You can't keep up with it. And now rather than actually, you know, attacking those inside the company, you're attacking those externally, social engineering them and getting in through all the weaknesses. Yeah, and an and additional expect, uh, aspect that uh, we saw is that um, and during COVID, when it first hit, they um, ramped up their um, whole device zoo that they have. And then after a year, somebody forgot that they had to renew the licenses. And uh, that got them into a whole heap of trouble again because they needed they weren't used to like buying thousands of licenses for a vpn connector and now they had to and forgot so um yeah <laughs> they got to work on that really quick and uh, fixed it but these are the problems that you have now that you didn't have before and and that's actually a good point that you know we've seen a lot of of these kinds of problems crop up how are companies working to protect the users? I mean, there's there's education aspects of it. There's uh, tools and solutions aspect of it. And of course, if you ask the security companies, oh, you need to buy this thing that we just came out with. That's an acronym that somebody told us that you need to buy. Uh, and it'll fix all of your problems until the next acronym comes out that will fix all of your problems. No, you don't. Um, what you need is a skilled security team. You need people who know their job. It doesn't make any kind of sense to buy like more security devices that nobody's looking at. I mean, it's it's like the IPS system, right? Everybody buys IPS, but nobody dares to use them in blocking mode. So what are they good for? And nobody even looks at the consoles and nobody works through all the alarms that are showing up or um, they have too many of them and they get alert fatigue. So um, it's a big problem in that way. Alert fatigue is a huge problem. If you get too many alerts, you're just going to start ignoring it. And then nothing's looked into. Um, dealing with socks who can go there and, and analyze all those, uh, all those alerts that come in, but how do they even determine what's, you know, what needs to be notified back to the security team? And I, I had one um, interesting thing where a very big, enterprise in Germany was pen tested. So it was the good guys doing the bad stuff or not that bad stuff, but, um, and they did completely unnoticed by the security operation center because the secret operation center only had time to look at the critical alerts because there were so many of them and they couldn't look at the high end um, major alerts. And the pen testers only did things that triggered high and major alerts, but not critical ones. So they got by completely undetected in the, well, noise of all the alerts that were being risen. So that's a big problem. Now, here's the question that I have for you. 
because you know we we know that this is a massive issue and we know that hybrid work isn't going to be going away anytime soon how can companies work with their employees to keep them safe in this new model how can users think about security in order to protect them from causing these massive outages getting infected with ransomware i think there's some simple things that companies can do and there's more complex things um you obviously want to protect the data uh you know using cloud services to protect the data is one way making sure the endpoint is secured um things like edr on the endpoint stuff like that but i think another thing is training cyber training for the end user and it doesn't have to be anything too complex. It can be simple things just to kind of give them that that knowledge, what to look for when you know receiving emails. You know, look for the domain that that is not your own domain, but looks like it. Uh, you know, look for you know are, are are these people that you're that you normally communicate with? Are they sending you documents? Do you normally get these documents from from the person that's sending you stuff? The cybersecurity training, I think, goes a long way. At least the people that I've talked to that I work with. A lot of the the higher ups are, are they see a lot of uh, the bad emails now because of the training that's been done. I, I agree with you on the training. I think training is key. You make the training easy, simple, and use. But I think complexity of an environment is really where it comes into play because if it's too complex, right? Uh, a user is going to make everything easy to access. So they're going to be like any any for anything. They'll be like, oh, this is too hard. If you actually make things a little bit easier, but secure to access certain things and limit what is available, instead of saying, oh man, I've got to jump through 27 steps to access this document or send this email. You know what? I'm just going to open it up to everybody just this one time so I can get it. And then they go home for the day, the weekend and realize when they come back into work that now they've been compromised. So really taking the complexity out of environment and how to do certain things, but the training is definitely key and make it very easy to understand and simple. John, along with, that's, a, that's a great point. Um, if the end user has to think to get something secure, that's a problem. They should be able to do the work. If you're an accountant, you shouldn't have to think about cybersecurity and, and what they have to do to keep things secure. It should be the same um, you know, the same task to keep things secure, whether you're in the office or remote. Regarding training, um, I usually tell my customers, it's something that you have to compare to like a first aid training. Um, you have to repeat it because you keep forgetting how it works and it needs to be a constant thing. It shouldn't be too often so that it's annoying again, but it should be in, in consumable doses and repeated like once per year or something like this. And nobody can be excluded, even the C-levels. They need to have this because very often they're like, we don't need this. Yes, you do, because you are being attacked as well. And then you have to implement simple changes, if you can, to get through the um, through the psychological equivalent of, have I locked my door or didn't I? Because very often um, breaches happen because people do things without really thinking actively about it. Um, and what we do and tell customers is, for example, hey, mark all the emails that are coming from the outside world into your company with a um, small word in the in this email subject that tells you this is an external email. Because that is like a thing that people see and like, oh, wait a minute, um, how can that be? It looks like it's from the inside. Why is it 
marked as external and then you have them thinking and then they can't just click on anything without thinking about it so this is something that works quite well and is a very easy change Jasper, I think you're actually key on there is to, to repeat the training, not too often, but muscle memory, just anything in general, just like kind of, I've always seen training. Oh, you only need to do this once a year or once every two years. I, I think even a little bit earlier of once, maybe every three months, six months, and you're repetitively doing this and changing it up because when they, and it's not the same training exactly over and over, but a different variation. So they're like, oh. I took this already. No, I didn't take this already. Let me pay attention to what this is going on. And if you can make it in a in a in a game kind of way, like gamification is uh, really helpful here because otherwise it's too boring and nobody will really pay attention to it. All right. Well, as you can see, there's a lot of factors that go into what your security posture looks like. And yes, opening our offices up definitely did increase the security uh, threat surface, if you want to call it that. However, it did give us an opportunity to help our users understand why these things are more important. Um, as you've heard, you know, good education programs, uh, good tool usage, not just throwing tools at the problem, but actually understanding what the problem looks like and helping people to get to a better security state is a great way to combat these things. Because unfortunately, as we mentioned, um, the criminals are now making this into a business and they have all the time and resources in the world to go after your company. So you need to make sure that you understand what's important in your network or in your enterprise. You need to understand how it needs to be secured. You need to understand the impact that any remote users might have. And you need to be ready to explain that to everyone from the lowest knowledge level worker all the way up to the C-suite to help them understand why we implemented the policies and procedures that we did, why the tools are in place, and why you shouldn't just go around them whenever you don't feel like you're uh, being productive. Well, that'll just about do it for this episode of the On-Premise IT Podcast. We put out a new episode about every two weeks. You can find the latest episode on our website at gestaltit.com slash podcast. You can also subscribe in your favorite podcast application of choice or check us out on our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash gestaltit video. We're also on Twitter as on-premise IT. And yes, we are using premise correctly there. If you have any topics or subjects or premises that you'd like to us to cover on the podcast, make sure you tweet at on-premise IT. And we are very happy to respond to those. And you might find yourself featured in a future episode. We'll be back in just a couple of weeks with another great episode. And if you'd like more great security content, please make sure you check out Security Field Day 8, which is happening November 16th through the 18th, 2022. More details can be found at techfieldday.com. 